0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Amazing. Happy bank holiday. Gosh, excuse me. I feel like every time I have a cough, and I'm like, it's not this, it's actually my hay fever. Um, I'm currently conducting an experiment. Um, I've been sugar-free for a week because it was so bad that I read reports that sugar can actually help your body release histamine. So there we go, friends. If you have hay fever, you might want to try it. I'm not sensing much (laughs) enthusiasm for the sugar-freeness, but... uh it is, literally, this is, I'm, li- yes, I probably should have said that, it's not, yeah, cough, guys, try it, <laughs> no, it was so bad last week that this is, it's working amazingly well. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about hay fever, uh, but there you go, just, uh, I don't know why, oh, I coughed, that's why I said that, I was like, why did I say, okay, fab, well, <laughs> um, if you are here, I know just mentioned we've got some people who are visiting, which is amazing, and we are actually in the middle of a series called Jesus the King, and this is where we have been looking at who Jesus is and the difference he makes in our lives, the difference his kingship, the way, um, the nature and character of him being king, and it, we're kind of coming out of the Easter season of this. It, on Good Friday, we remembered the death of Jesus, and on Easter Sunday, we celebrated his resurrection. And now we are actually thinking about all the difference that that has made, that actually the people that Jesus encountered after he was resurrected. And today our talk is actually called Encountering the Risen King encountering the risen king and just to pause there for a moment because that isn't just a title but that is actually an incredible truth about the christian faith that it is actually possible to encounter the risen king to meet with jesus to know his presence in our lives we don't worship a statue we don't venerate a dead person or a dead god we at the heart of our faith the christian faith if you want are new to this you're exploring it you're so welcome and let it be said that at the heart of the Christian faith is the belief that God is alive and not only is he alive but he longs to actively participate in our lives for good for love encountering the risen king this is where we are at today And in the part of the Bible that we're going to be reading in just a moment, we actually read of one man's incredible encounter um, with Jesus. And before we give that story, just to give a little bit of context, the man you might have heard of him was Saul. Um, And Saul was his Hebrew name, Paul was his Greek name, which he quite often more often came to be known by. And he was probably born a few years after Jesus. He was born in Tarsus, which then was in um, Asia Minor, which is today in modern-day Turkey. And Tarsus was really just this vibrant city. It was annexed by for the Romans in AD 63. um, and as Saul was kind of growing up, so I think that was be, anyway, there was a lot going on around that time. I might have my data slightly wrong. But as Saul was growing up, the city was really growing. And it was becoming a key seat for learning and philosophy and poetry and rhetoric. There was like in kind of a lot of culture developing there. Um, it was known for all its schools of that. And Paul Saul <laughs> actually became fluent in Greek while he was there. And he was living there kind of immersed in this culture, but part of a one of the diaspora. Jewish families. He was a proud Hebrew Jew. He was proud of his identity, and he was committed to the Jewish ways of life. And it's thought that when he was in his teens, he actually left Tarsus and went to Jerusalem to train in the Pharisaic school there, the tradition of the Pharisees, now, if you've never heard of the Pharisees before, there's so much to say about them, and I am not, probably not going to explain it the best that it could be said, but just a brief glimpse. The Pharisees had built their hopes on the coming of the kingdom of God, the promised Messiah, on strict adherence to the Torah, the law, and attachment to the temple. And they were so set on this, they actually saw the early followers of Jesus as dangerously, disloyal to the Jewish way of life. But the problem for them was, (laughs) after the resurrection of Jesus, the number of followers of Jesus actually only grew. When they had seen Jesus killed, they probably thought, perfect. You know, like, this is done, he'll be forgotten about soon, but that didn't happen. Jesus came back to life, and after his resurrection, the stories about him and um, the followers, his number of followers grew. And there's this this kind of pivotal moment of one Pentecost festival. And it was just after Jesus had physically left Earth, but he'd left his Holy Spirit to inhabit the hearts and lives of his followers, which Andy talked amazingly about um, last week. And at this particular Feast of Pentecost, there were many Jews who'd returned to Jerusalem. This is what happened at that time. There was lots of Jewish communities all around the Middle East in the cities and the countries around that area. But wherever they were living, They still saw themselves as one people, a people following the one true God. And so they would return often to Jerusalem for sacred festivals. And the Feast of Pentecost was one of these sacred festivals. So we find them all here just after Jesus has physically left earth. And they meet disciples and followers of Jesus who have been empowered to speak in all their different languages. And they're telling them about the resurrected Jesus, the true king of Israel. And thousands believe and join them. You can read about it right at the beginning of the book of Acts in the Bible. This was not good news for the Pharisees and other religious leaders. In their eyes, if this new movement became more and more popular, it could derail um, the promises of God. The Pharisees saw Jesus and the worship of Jesus as an affront to all things truly Jewish. And N.T. Wright, who is a theologian, a writer, and a scholar, he's studied a lot on Saul. And this is what he says about Saul, particularly as a Pharisee. Saul, as a faithful young Pharisee committed to Judaism, believed it was his duty to stop by whatever means necessary those who perverted Israel's worship and affronted Israel's holiness. Saul was a violent zealot of the most extreme kind, whose brand of Pharisaism propelled him into efforts to attack perceived religious deviance with the bloodthirsty righteousness that we have seen throughout the historic and modern world. Sunday friends <laughs> but it is important to give this context it is important to understand what the context that Saul had grown up in and who he actually was And so after this festival of Pentecost, the persecution begins. First with the stoning, the killing of Stephen, one of Jesus' followers, which Saul watched over. And after Stephen's death, many of Jesus' new followers realized that Jerusalem wasn't safe anymore. And they began to leave Jerusalem to go and live in Judea and Samaria and the areas surrounding. But the sad thing is that that didn't stop the persecution. They were simply... um, found, people would hunt them down, and Saul gave everything to capturing, imprisoning, and killing followers of Jesus. And this is what he himself said about himself in Galatians 1. He says this, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. This was consuming soul, this zealousness. And when we meet Saul in the passage that we're just about to read, he has heard that the movement of Jesus' followers has spread to Damascus. And so we meet him when he is on the road, on the way to Damascus. Except that everything changed on that journey. On that journey to Damascus, Saul had a life-changing, history-changing encounter with the resurrected Jesus. This is what happened. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? How incredible is this that Jesus so identifies with his followers that he actually says, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why do you persecute them? Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They'd heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias the Lord called to him in a vision Ananias yes Lord he answered the Lord told him go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight what would you do if you were Ananias <laughs> Like, what a huge moment. This was serious stuff. And God appears to Ananias and tells him, go and find Saul of Tarsus and pray for him. I mean, I don't know what I would have said. Probably something along the lines similar to Ananias. "Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias was probably thinking, God, I've got to tell you who this guy is. Like, I don't think you understand this situation here. Like, I can't go and see him. I don't know if you know, but this guy is actually out to capture and arrest us. God knows exactly who Saul is and exactly what is going on. And he says to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then what an incredible next sentence. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. What would that moment have been like? (laughs) Like, no. Can you imagine? Like, what, what with that moment? I think it's incredible what he says. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. What an incredible story. And there is so much to unpack here, so much that we actually won't get justice um, to do in our time together this morning. But this encounter with Jesus changed stall. It freed him. It opened his eyes to see who Jesus really was. This is, it's so... Um, simple and obvious in a way. But any encounter with Jesus is about Jesus. Any encounter with Jesus is about seeing Jesus for who he really is. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about our eyes being opened to know Jesus. Saul was blinded by Jesus so that he could really see him. That's what an encounter with Jesus does. It lets us know who God is, not just an idea of him, but personally, personally who Jesus is and who we are and how we are seen by God. An encounter with Jesus is about a shift in perspective. Saul's vision on the road to Damascus equipped him with an entirely new perspective. It was still grounded in all the history and the tradition and the promises of the faith, but he came to see that Jesus was the fulfillment of all those things, not the things that he was actually following. Jesus had already come and had already inaugurated the new age, and Paul was commissioned to be an agent of it. His encounter with Jesus radically, totally, forever changed his perspective on who God is and the way that he works. This is what encounters with Jesus do. They radically and empower us to see Jesus and to find ourselves loved by him. It's removing the scales from our eyes that ourselves or others might have put there so that we can have our eyes opened to actually know, this is who you are. This is who you are. When I was younger, I'm from Liverpool. When I was younger, my grandma um, moved to Runcorn, which is just like a little bit away from Liverpool. And to get there, you would have to cross this bridge. And you can see the bridge, you can see the road, you can see the road markings on the green bridge, and then the design of the bridge, which does this. And there was a lot of talk, because it was, I think it had not long been built. And my grandma moved there when I was about seven, and there was talk about, oh, how we're going over the London the not the London Bridge, that would have been a long journey. Uh, The Runcorn Bridge, and we'd go, how'd you get to Runcorn? Oh, you know, the Runcorn Bridge. I don't know about you, but my uncles also always seem to talk about travel. How'd you get here, the M53, how's the traffic? (laughs) There's a lot of like, just talk about that whenever we went out, did you come over the bridge? Yeah, 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 we came over the bridge. And I remember like the first time we were going to see my grandma after she'd moved there, and I heard that we were going over the bridge and I'd seen it, and I was like so excited. And I was so disappointed. When we drove, I thought we were going to drive over <laughs> that. And I was like, we never went over the bridge. They, we, and I, we got to my grandma's. How'd you get here? Yeah, we went over the bridge. I was like, we never went over the bridge. We went under the bridge. We went under." And I was about seven. And for a while, I don't know why I didn't say anything, but I carried this for a while. And I was so frustrated until one day I said to my mom, why does everyone say that we go over the bridge when we go under it? <clears throat> And it was only obviously as an adult that I was like, oh, we are going over the bridge. <laughs> I see that we actually are crossing the river, and we are going over the bridge to get there. It's a silly example, but my perspective totally changed And the kingdom of God is described in the Bible as kind of seeds or very small things that we are given that actually have all the full potential of the kingdom of God, but we get to tend to them. We get to grow them in our lives. We actually get to like be changed by them. And it was a silly example, but when we first come to know Jesus and as we grow in friendship and relationship with him, as we continue to encounter him, as we tend to the seeds of his presence. Presence in the kingdom in our lives, our perspective begins to shift. We come more and more to see who God is and what we once thought we may not think any longer. God sometimes changes our minds. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. We actually grow in wisdom and maturity. We grow in friendship. We grow in compassion and kindness. We grow in discernment. We grow in the gifts that He has given us. We are changed by encountering His presence. This is part of being in friendship with a living God that we get better and better, not because we just get better, but because his presence actually grows in our lives. And and if it isn't, we get to ask the questions, God, there's something not right here. Would you help me see this with your perspective? Would you give me your perspective on this um, situation, on this conversation? Would you give me your perspective on what is going here? And he does. This is what encounters with Jesus do. Saul had been so concerned with defending the law in the temple that he missed that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those things that he was longing for. But Jesus shone the light of his presence deep into Paul's heart and changed him forever. This is what Jesus does. He shines the light of his presence into our lives. So how... You know, we don't just read this story to say, oh, wasn't that a great thing for for Saul? We actually go, how do we encounter God? How do we encounter the risen King? And There's no formula. I'm not here to say, guys, I've got the secret. I've been holding it all this time. I know you've never heard it before, but today, the 1st of May, in this service, I have got the secret. (laughs) You, a lot of us, will probably know what I'm going to say. And yet, I hope that, and I include myself in this, <coughs> excuse me, that we never take for granted what we have been given by God, the ways that we can encounter Him. And so, as we just go through some of these, and if this is your first time hearing it, then know that these are the gifts that we have been given. And one of these is the Bible. One of these is the Bible. This is the primary way that we are going to encounter Jesus, that we are going to come to know who Jesus is. This is where God has revealed himself. God is a mystery. We start with this, and he has said that we can know him and be known by him. And we find him in the Bible. Not only do we find him in the Bible, but we also read stories of how we met with people, and we get to go, if God did that for that person, he can do that for me. He can do that for my family. He can do that for my friends. He can do that again in my day. What he did then, he's the same God. We get to find the ways that he works. A, a number of years ago, when I was um, living in Liverpool, we'd actually set up. Um, a prayer room community and there was a few of us that kind of gathered around it and there was just this space that anyone could come into and pray and one day a guy came in and he's told this story of what had happened a couple of years previously and he was at that time he'd kind of got involved in a local church but he came and he said I want to tell you a story and he talked about how a couple of years previously he was very addicted um, to certain kinds of drugs and he'd got into a bit of trouble and he needed to lie low somewhere and the only place that he knew to go was his grandma's flat and he was like, he just needed to stay in this flat. He didn't leave it. There was hardly anything in it, um, like a chair and no TV, but there was a Bible. And he said he realized that he'd just come to the end of himself. He'd hit rock bottom, and he cried out to God, and he said, if you're real would you show yourself to me or words to that effect? Would you let me know you're here? Would you let me know who you are? And the first night on his own in that flat, he said he took his drugs and he got high and he went to sleep after he'd prayed that. And the next night, he prayed the same. He took his drugs, he got high, and he went to sleep. And the next night, he prayed the same and he took his drugs and he got high and he thought, there's nothing else to do. I'm going to read the Bible. And he turned to the bit where Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, and it had the Lord's Prayer. So he thought, I'll pray this. So he prayed the Lord's Prayer, and he went to sleep. The next night, he got high, and he prayed the Lord's Prayer, and he went to sleep. And this happened for a couple more nights until finally he came to the night when he said, I think I'll just read the Bible tonight. And he just read the Lord's Prayer. And he said he woke up the next morning, and he was completely and totally freed from his addiction He'd not come to church. There'd been no preacher <laughs> or host. It was him on his own in his grandma's flat with a Bible. And he met and encountered the risen King. And that started him on a journey. We don't just, that life isn't just about these moments, but there are these moments that change us and define us. And it started him on a journey to continue to meet the risen King. Him on his own saying, God, would I know you? And a Bible and Jesus revealed himself and changed everything And I know that sometimes the Bible, I think I might have said this before, but we know that it's good for us um, or or we hope that it's good for us. I don't know where you're at today. And and it can just be like, I know I need to eat. I'm just going to read the Bible. And so there's some meals that were like, "Mm, not great, but hey, I'm not hungry anymore. And there's some meals that you remember. I remember going to Rome. And tasted Nocky for the first time. I was like, "Oh my gosh, is this what Nocky is supposed to taste like?" And I still remember that. And it was like, "Oh, I could, I could describe it to you. If we have coffee later, I'll tell you all about the Nocky I had in Rome." And the Bible can sometimes be like that. There's sometimes we just need to keep going and reading it. And then there's some moments when we're like, "Oh." Like, God, you are particularly highlighting an area, or you are using the Bible to speak, or you are showing me who you really are, and they are defining moments in our lives. The Bible is a treasure that we have been given. It's a treasure. Another way that we can encounter Jesus is through prayer. When we talk, when we listen, when we communicate to God, it's so sacred and so ordinary all at the same time. And I, um, a few years ago, I'd I'd gotten to know some of the women who um, were working in the flats in Soho, and one woman who we'd kind of particularly got on well with, um, and we'd connected, and I'd go up to see her in the flat, um, and we'd we'd had, you know, different chats about faith and Jesus and prayer, but on this one occasion, as I knocked on the door, she literally grabbed me by the arm and pulled me into um, the room. There was a bedroom and a kitchen, and we were in the bedroom. And she said, "Joe, I need you to pray for me. And she's gave me three huge things about her life that she wanted prayer for. And I remember that we were stood at the foot of the bed in this flat in Soho as she shared her heart with me and asked me to pray. And I, we held hands and I remember thinking, God, silently I prayed. I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know how to pray for these things. I don't want to just say good words. Like, God, how do I pray for what she has just shared with me? And I sense God just said, ask for my presence to come. So all I said out loud was, God, would your presence come and fill this room? And in that little tiny flat in Soho the two of us holding hands we sensed the presence of God as much as I have ever sensed him in worship in a church service and I had tears she had tears and before I could say anything else the power of love was so present like pure love was so present in that room that she just began to pray she began to pray for the things that were on her heart in a way that I couldn't have done She was able to put her heart into words and pray to God. And she encountered as we asked for his Holy Spirit to come and meet us in that place. And as she continued to pray and I got to stand next to her and say amen, we encountered the presence of God. And, you know, the nature of those nights, there was a knock on the door and I had to leave. But we continued to have conversations after that as we kind of talked through some of that. But that encounter reminded her of a faith that she'd had when she was younger. I was at the HTB prayer room, HTB, the Holy Trinity Brompton Church. They've got a hut um, there's a prayer room that anyone can sign up and go to and I um, was in there one day I'd signed up for my hour um, so so was just me in there by myself and there was, then there was a knock on the door and a guy was at the door and he asked if he could come in and I was a bit like oh what'd you do <laughs> I was like okay in this situation I think I'm going to decide it's okay um so I was like yes come in no problem I left the door open just in case and um, as he walked into the room he said what what is going on in here and I said, oh, people have been praying, like they, they come and they pray in here. And he said, what, like, what is this atmosphere? And I said, oh, it's the presence of God. And then he just started to talk about how he used to go to church. And he'd forgotten, he'd like wondered where he actually used to go to HTB. And he said, being here in the presence where people have prayed <laughs> reminded him of what love was. And he encountered God in that moment. And I actually never saw him again. I don't know what happened, but he said to me, I've remembered who love is. I'm going to come back to church on Sunday. The power of prayer is we just create these spaces where we can pray with one another and spaces where others can walk into and experience the presence of God. Sometimes when we get out the way (laughs) and just let people encounter his presence dreams and visions. This is what happened to Saul and Ananias, a huge way that Jesus and God and, and God, Jesus who is God, <laughs> encountered people in the Bible was through dreams and visions. It was through dreams and visions that um, people were directed by God, that they got to see wisdom for particular situations. Saul had an encounter with Jesus and then a vision of Ananias coming to pray with him. And God called to Ananias in a vision. You know, I think Ananias was incredible. (laughs) Like, what a response to receive a vision like that. Like, it's literally, I can't even put into words how I must have imagined Ananias must have been feeling in that moment. We have hindsight. We can see what God has done. And yet God, Ananias, trusted that he was hearing from God and that vision actually meant that he was able to go to Saul and receive him with these words, brother Saul. Like, what if God had just left Saul on his own and that had been it? But through Ananias responding to the vision that he had received, he actually let Saul knew now, not only had he seen Jesus, but he belonged to a family of followers, that he belonged to a group of people who were in this together, that we're going to serve Jesus together. The power of a perspective shift. Ananias had one perspective of who Saul was. And God revealed another and said, yeah, I know that's who you know he is. And God, he wasn't belittling that by any means, but he was saying, now this is who Saul is. This is the perspective shift I need you to have, Ananias. I need you to see things from my perspective. You can't see it all now. I couldn't see the whole of the Runcorn Bridge, but now that I am revealing this to you, trust me, follow me. And the final thing that I just want to draw our attention to um, today is in everyday life. You know, Ananias is probably just having a moment in everyday life. Saul was on a road to Damascus. It's in the everyday moments that we can help one another encounter Jesus. It's through kindness. It's through praying with one another. It's through serving one another, our prayers, looking after each other, through following Jesus that we can actually help one another encounter Jesus through the seasons, the ups and downs, the normalness. You know, the world is broken and chaotic. You don't need me to tell you this. It is screaming in pain. And yet the world is also filled with the power and the presence and the beauty and the love of Jesus. And there are thousands of people across the globe who we will never ever hear of until one day in eternity who are serving others in places where there is violence and war and poverty, and they are helping people encounter Jesus through their service. We get to just be part of the everyday life of people. A friend of mine um, was, was living in a flat, and in the basement flat below her, a lady had moved in. And this lady, actually, she used to have, before the pandemic, a really good job. And the stress of the pandemic had just really got on top of her. She had to give up her job. She had no income. And on this one particular night, we just heard lots of screaming and breaking of glass. Um, And we didn't quite know what to do. And in the end, another neighbor had called the police. um, And things were taken care of that night. We saw her family the next day. And then a couple of weeks later, my friend heard something similar. And obviously, there's wisdom to be exercised in these situations. But on that particular occasion, my friend was like, God, what do I do? Do I call the police again? Do I, what do I do? And on that moment, she felt that God said, go down and ask her if she's okay. So she went down and she knocked on her door Um, and the lady opened it and she just burst into tears when she saw my friend and she invited her in they cleaned up the flat together and then they sat down together and the lady just started to share her story just share where she was at what had happened during the pandemic and what she'd been going through and she said to my friend what made you come down and my friend said well I was praying for you and I felt like God just said to come down and ask you if you're okay it wasn't huge, it was just simply, and that lady was so wowed by the fact that someone would actually come and say, God God sees you, God sees you, and he cares enough that he made me come down, not made, but like kind of made, <laughs> we come down and ask if you were okay, and that just went on, they went on to have some other conversations, and, um, and that lady actually um, she she moved on, but she said no one's ever done anything like that for me before. She will remember that moment. I don't know if you've heard of Philip Yancey. He's an author. And, right, and he had a, a really, really quite hard and horrific childhood. Um, he was raised by an abusive mother in um, just really um, horrific church circumstances, um, the way that he was brought up, so much so that he, he writes this, um, as I look back, the greatest deception was just the representation of God that I had, of this angry bully in the sky. And so my faith was suspended And then the title of my memoir, Where the Light Fell, comes from a quote from St. Augustine who said, I couldn't look at the sun directly, but I could look at where the light fell. And I I read his memoir a couple of weeks ago, and he just tells in his memoir this incredible story of how like horrific, basically, it was a really hard read, actually, uh, the things had been. But one day he went and sat by a lake (laughs) And he just watched the birds and nature and the activity around this still lake where there was no one else. And something began to dawn on him about the mystery of God, about the beauty of God. And in that stillness, he was faced just with the power of nature. I don't know if you've ever experienced like that when you've looked up at the stars and realized how small we are, or you've had encounters with God when you just think, oh my gosh, like God, you're here. And Philip Yancey had this incredible, he'd call it a conversion experience, just sitting quietly by himself at the lake. And then he started to listen to classical music, which he'd not been allowed to do. And he fell in love with the woman who was to become his wife. And he writes this, I had gone through this period of creating a shell to keep the church from getting to me, to keep my mum from getting to me. And it started to crack apart because it softened, as shells do when I experience those three things. And he said, I realized that my image of God could not be true if these things were products of that God. That God is a creator who invented love and beauty and those things. And then came that completely unexpected and unsought conversion experience at the lake. And as soon as you tell a conversion story, people are tempted to say, oh, well, I've never had one of those. And it's true. I'm not setting out a formula. This is the way God acts. I'm just saying this is the most important scene in my life. I can't deny it. It happened and it was transformative. A long journey followed that. An encounter with God. There's so many ways to encounter Jesus They change us, some are dramatic. I don't know what your story has been. Some of us may have had or may um, desire dramatic encounters, and some of them are just still moments. But when we encounter Jesus, we shift our perspective. He awakens us, he heals us, he frees us, he redeems us. Sometimes it can happen in a moment and sometimes an encounter can begin the long transformative journey. But encounters with Jesus are powerful. I haven't shared all these stories as prescriptors of how you must meet with God, but as descriptions of who God is of who he is and of who he has shown himself to be. And I want to finish just by saying that an encounter with Jesus doesn't suddenly make the world right or mean that we won't encounter suffering anymore. Saul himself, Jesus says in his vision, I need to show Saul how much he is going to suffer for me. And Saul goes on to write as Paul in, um, in the New Testament, he talks about the, the Things that he'd been through, he says, I've, I've received lashes from the Jews. I've been beaten with rods. I've been pelted with stones. I've been shipwrecked. I've spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been in danger from bandits, in danger from Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. But beside everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. This wasn't just, oh, now everything's Okay. But then he writes this, but whatever used to matter to me, I now consider nothing compared to knowing Jesus, compared to knowing the suffering and the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Encounters with Jesus change us. They free us, they change our perspective. It doesn't mean that we won't feel and experience the reality of life, but it means that we get to say, Do you know what? Jesus himself is the gift. His presence is the gift. And who he is forming me to be is a gift beyond I can put into words. I wonder if the band um, could come back up. And I guess I just want to invite us. Um <clears throat> as we just sing our final song together. To just reflect a bit, I don't know what you have walked in here with this morning. It might be that you are carrying things that you just think, maybe you've already met with Jesus in the worship. It may be that you think, oh, Jesus, actually, this is what I want to bring to you. I want to encounter you in here in this place in my heart. Or it may be that we're not carrying something specific, but actually we want to ask, are there scales that have been on my eyes that I have not even realized it? That actually, Jesus, you want to shine a light upon and free me from so that I can see you and I can see from your perspective. And before we um, just sing our final song together, I just want to read the words, a few of the words of a song from Christine DeMarco, which in a way is a prayer like this that actually gets, we get the chance to say, Jesus, would you continue to shift my perspective so I am seeing you for who you really are? She writes this What if Jesus is okay with letting parts of him remain a mystery? What if Jesus is just smiling when I think down here, I must know everything? What if my views don't reflect his fullness and there's still so much more of heaven yet to see? What if trusting him is what he's looking for? Would that be good enough for me? What if Jesus sees what I miss and he does not share all my thoughts on politics? What if his body bridges these chasms that I have dug out in my own self-righteousness? And what if people I don't agree with are the same ones pouring their perfume on his feet What if Jesus gets the whole of his reward? Would that be beautiful to me? What if Jesus desires mercy while I'm busy judging others for their deeds? Because if I have his heart and friendship, then I must know he loves the liars and the thieves. What if I spend life in his vineyard and at midnight he redeems my enemies? What if trusting him is what he's looking for? Would that be good enough for me? What if after all I've been through, Everyone gets the same he promised me. What if Jesus alone is the reward? He'd be more than good enough for me. And Father, we just thank you that we have get to, get to spend some time together this morning. To hear for the first time or be reminded that we can encounter you. In so many ways, we don't want to put a prescriptor on what that would be like. And I just pray for those of us that may still just be longing Father, for whatever it is that we may have carried in here, I pray that even as we just sing of who you are, the beauty and the power and the wonder of your name, would you show yourself to us, Father, as we head home, as we get the bus, as we get the tube, as we're in work, we long to continue to encounter you. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your presence. Amen. Amen.